Hey, what's going on? It's Steven Kramer Glickman from the TV show Big Time Rush on uh, Nickelodeon. And uh, right here with me is uh, Matt Walker. Hello, I'm Matt Walker. And you're listening to the Man Cave Chronicles podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal. You're my boy, boo. Yo, Adrian. I with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more. From deep inside the man cave, your host, Elias. Steven, Matt, welcome to the cave and thank you for joining me. Glad to be here. Hey, thanks for having us. How are you guys? What's new with you? Hanging out at home, like everyone, I guess. <laughs> right. How's the how's the whole quarantine life treating you? What have you guys been doing with that? Uh, uh, I've been. I mean, it's I've been, been okay. Oh yeah, Matt can cook. <laughs> Matt's a very good cook. I'm uh, uh, not allowed to use most of the appliances in the kitchen. So. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So. You know, everybody knows you from the Nighttime Show podcast, which, by the way, it's great. It's I've been subscribing to that podcast for over a year now. I've been listening to it. It's great. I'm, but I want the listeners to get to know you guys a little more about you. Uh, let's start off with Steve. Steve, where are you originally from? Uh, I'm originally from London, Ontario, Canada. Uh, grew up in uh, San Diego and uh, been in Los Angeles um since, uh, mostly since nine, the mid nineties, uh-huh. I guess. Where was your favorite part of living at? Uh, in living in LA. That's your favorite spot out of all the places you lived. Uh, I mean, LA is probably my favorite place that I've lived just because it's a very ridiculous place to live. It's, uh, every, you know, you have a lot of, uh, strange run-ins, you know, here, which uh, has provided a lot of great guests for our show over over the last four or five years. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I uh, I love living in L.A. It is a, a wonderful and bizarre place. There you go. How about you, Matt? Uh, yeah, I grew up in Southern California, and then I spent five years in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania when I was in college. And then uh, that's where I learned that winter sucks because you don't learn that growing up in Los Angeles. Uh, so I came back as soon as it was possible for me to come back, and I refuse to live anywhere else now. <laughs> yeah. I'm from the East Coast, so I know all about yeah, those winters. I was going to say, if I ever see snow again in person, it is far too soon. I don't know what the hell anybody puts up with that. Like, you don't have to live there, you know. You can move somewhere where it doesn't do that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, like, I, I think when you're living in L.A., you, the winter is like, oh, I get to wear that that sweatshirt once a year. <laughs> like, that, this is the one time a year I get to wear a hoodie sweatshirt with my favorite you know, a Star Wars character on it or something, and then, and then you go to the East Coast. You, you, you know, you go, you go to where it's cold, and you go and you bring, you bring your hoodies. You think you're set, and you get there, and it's like, oh no, 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 snowsuit. <laughs> you're yeah. right about it. What yeah. if- and also, 
I I haven't owned an umbrella in 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Funny thing is, like, one of my closest yeah. friends moved to Florida, like, I don't know, 15 years ago. Because we're from Massachusetts. I'm from Massachusetts. And uh, as soon as he got down mm-hmm. there, you know, he settled in everything, went the world around. And, you know, down there where he lives in Jacksonville, like, the coldest it gets is, like, 55, 56. He goes, I'm watching people put jackets on, and I'm sitting here. With a short sleeve still, because I got used to 55 degrees in Massachusetts. It's nice. And then you go down to Florida, it's like opposite. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the Yeah, 55. I'm in uh, long underwear and uh, three layers of clothing on top of that for 55. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the only thing that I, uh, I enjoyed about uh, the, the, like the winter or cold is like I went out to the Sundance Film Festival a couple of years ago and wore, uh, I got to wear a giant fur coat, like a fake fur coat, but a fur coat. And, and that's, I now have this fur coat in my closet. It, I can't, and there's never going like to be another time to wear it. It looks like you hunted down Chewbacca and turned him into a coat, is what that thing looks like. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I look like a bear. It's great. So yeah. you guys, you guys have done stand up comedy, like, uh, when did you first realize that you get you know you guys can make people laugh and you wanted to get into the comedy? Uh, well, I've been doing it for seventeen years. Like when you do it for about fifteen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's we both started pretty early on at a bowling alley in the San Fernando Valley area of Southern California, um, Very <laughs> where they used to have Very a comedy classic. show. Um, and that's where I met Stephen. Uh, he was coming through town uh traveling with a musical that was the sequel to fiddler on the roof highly successful play (laughs) (laughs) and uh he came to see a show that i was hosting there at this bowling alley Kadoga park when i was brand new to comedy it wasn't any good and he decided uh that he wanted to try so like he came by a couple times when he started doing it and that's how we became friends and we've been doing that for years and i never thought I always enjoyed watching comedy, but I never thought about becoming a comedian until after I'd done it um, because I was doing some stuff on the radio and I thought taking a comedy class would be a fun thing to do over a summer to help with doing the radio. And I showed up to this class and the guy told me, come back next week with one minute of jokes. So I did that because how hard is that? And I did my one minute of jokes in class and he said, okay, I run a show on Tuesday. You're going to come do your minute of jokes at the show. And I was like, I've been here twice. And he's like, just trust me. So I went and I did it, and then within like three weeks, I was doing four open mics a week. Oh, like wow. I, once I did it, I was like, "Oh, that's what I need to do." Yeah. So, like you said, you you, yeah. enjoy, you said you enjoy watching comedy first. Like, who were like some of your favorite comics? Uh, growing up, my favorite comic was Craig Shoemaker. Um, he was always my favorite. What? I loved Sam Kinison. Are you well, serious? I, I loved Craig Shoemaker. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> the the whole Love Master did back in the day was my favorite thing when I was in high school. Uh, but you know, I, I watched, you know, the people who were big when I was in high school was, you know, Dice and Kinison and, you know, Seinfeld back before the show. Uh, Dennis Wolfberg was a great comic who I loved who doesn't get enough credit. Um, you know, just lots of people in that era of the, the late eighties. I was a big fan of comedy fan at the time and I'd watch a lot on TV and I wasn't old enough to go to any of the clubs. Um, so I just watch all the evening at the improvs and it's, you know, saw everyone that, uh, became big or was big at that time, and you know I just enjoyed all kinds of styles of, of comedy at the time. Mm. 
How about you, Steven? We, we need some more Dennis Wolfberg merch, don't, don't we? <laughs> Dennis Wolfberg was so good. I mean, it's so sad that he died in, what, like, 98 or something like that? He died a long time ago, but he was a great comic. Shark Attack. Shark Attack. Yeah. Very how about how about you, Stephen? Which comics did you enjoy? Um, well, like, not Crossmaker. That's why favorite. I can tell by that answer. What's that? What you say? I said it's going to be not Craig Shoemaker. <laughs> no. <laughs> um. Uh. My my favorite stand-ups growing up were probably Carlin. Um. I had four albums when I was uh, 13, 14 years old. Four, four stand-up albums that my mom gave me. I had Pauly Shore's album, uh, where he's like jumping in the air, which was ridiculous. And I had uh, No Cure for Cancer, Dennis Leary's album. I had um, George Carlin's Life from New Jersey, and I had Eddie Murphy Delirious. Those were the four that I listened to until they were, um, you know, until I knew every word and was kind of a little obsessive about about those guys. And then and then I kind of moved on from there to like, I when I found out that Bobcat Goldthwait was a stand-up comedian because I I just watched him and stuff like you know like Police, Police Academy, Academy and, yeah. and Scrooge. Then, then I wanted to watch, you know, his stuff. He was very dirty and like drug fueled, and it was like a different, a whole different thing. And then uh, there were guys like Richard Jenny that I thought were really funny. Rest in peace. And oh, uh, there was a show called Lounge Lizards. Um, yeah, Comedy Central. That was on Comedy Central. Um, and one of the big sad, one of the saddest things growing up was, uh, in our little neighborhood, we had the comedy, uh, in our, in San Diego, we had the comedy channel on our cable box and then it went from comedy channel to comedy central. And it was so great. We'd have Dr. Katz and we'd have all these great shows. And then our cable company got into a fight with Viacom and they lost Comedy Central and instead replaced the channel with Animal Planet. And I was so angry. For, <laughs> and there was, nothing, there was no internet like where you could go and watch these shows. So it was just, that's the end of enjoying watching stand-up, I guess. Like, yeah. So I'd watch well, it on late night, but that was really about it. Like that kind yeah, of... Like, I didn't... I didn't have cable when I was a kid, so I used to just watch. They had these a uh, couple shows in syndication. I would watch. So like there was a uh, Friday night, which ultimately became a, a music video show. But when it first came on, it was uh, stand up. Um, that I forget who the first host was. Henry Cho hosted it later on. But um, they used to have a lot of stand up comedy on there. And then there was evening at the Improv would be on. Like I'd watch the football games for my high school, and then I'd come home and they have uh, stand-up shows on at, like, 1 in the morning. So I would just stay up really late and watch stand-up late at night when I was in high school. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's funny how, like, the comedy world has just gone even huge now compared to what it was. It, it's grown and imploded and grown and imploded over and over again, and uh, who knows which, which cycle we're in now. <laughs> yeah. Where do you think it is right yeah. now? Where would you say? 
I mean, I right think, now during this? Right now, there's nothing. Right, so I, right. I think right now that this lockdown is probably going to cause the closure of some venues and cause a lot of uh, aspiring comedians to quit. Um, I think that's sort of going to be the natural end result. However, when shows start back up again, uh, I think there is going to be an audience of people that are desperate to go to something that's not in their house. And I think comedy mm-hmm. clubs will be able to open with small, with smaller crowds when you can't go to concerts and you can't go to packed bars and you can't go to sporting events. So I think there's going to be a window of opportunity for us to gain a bunch of stand-up comedy fans from people who haven't gone to clubs in years or who never thought about going to comedy clubs, but I think they'll be one of the thing that, things that's open for people to do. And I think we'll have a chance to maybe grab some fans of stand-up comedy that uh, we might otherwise not have had because they would be going to a Dodger game instead of spending their Friday night at the Improv. Yeah. Um, I think they'll be looking for somewhere to go, and these bigger venues won't be open. So you guys have been... Yeah, how many... I think you're right. Go ahead. I, I, I mean, like stand-up comedy was kind of at a bit of a at a boiling point, like when coronavirus hit. Like some of the, I mean, we've never seen the, the amount of comedy specials coming out in the world as yeah. as we were during that time period over the last. Uh, you know, a few years, like it's been, I mean, more, the amount of money that has been spent by Netflix and some of these places on comedy specials is extraordinary. Like, so we're definitely, we were definitely at a huge high there. And And none of that money was spent on us. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. None of that money was spent on you or me. So I object to all of it. Yeah, well, you know, it, it definitely made a pretty significant difference in in yeah. being able to, uh, you know, pack out comedy clubs. I mean, like, when I worked at the comedy store as a doorman back in the mid-2000s, it was, you know, no one cared about that comedy club. People used to talk about yeah. turning it into a parking lot. Like, there Yeah, was, we thought it was going to close. Yeah. No one was going to the to the club. It was dead most of the time, you know, like, and now it's, you know, it is, you can't get a seat, you know, any night of the week. It is just hot fire. The, the whole place, the lineups are insane. So, you know, it's, uh, it's changed. It's definitely become a much bigger industry. Hopefully after coronavirus, we'll just, things will, you know, pick up again yeah. get, we'll, we'll, we'll be in a new place in time I guess mm-hmm. so you guys have been performing for a few years now like what would you say is your favorite venue to perform at Matt where's your favorite place uh, I would say I I think in terms of I've always been a big fan of of clubs and just the the way that clubs are set up, because there's a big difference between clubs and theaters in terms of like the energy in a room. Yeah. Um, and to me, I would probably say the Ice House in Pasadena. Um, that is just a club that's set up to uh, it's set up to make you succeed. Essentially, like they do everything right in mm. terms of making the performer. Uh, 
get the the focus of everybody's attention. However, the Improv is also a terrific club like that. Um, I think those are probably my two favorite places: the Hollywood Improv and the Ice House in Pasadena, California. Um, I mean, there's a lot of we're we're lucky in Southern California. There's so many good good stages and good clubs to do. Um, but I think those are probably my two favorites. Yeah, I I would say uh, Ice House in Pasadena is probably the comedy club that is literally physically structured in a way to make every to like to make sure that the show is a success. Like, yeah, it, we're talking down to like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like that's that's uh, literally the the building itself. The walls of the building are brick, so it the uh, the echo of laughter is just it's like performing in an echo box. So it's like you, you know, you do a joke and it's just the, the laughter is bouncing off the walls and which makes more people laugh and makes the, makes the room like a hotter room. So, you know, it's, you know, sometimes performing there feels like you're performing at, you know, the Apollo or, you know, something like this. Like it's just an amazing experience. That place is great. Um, I think, uh, the comedy store main room is is a sh- a place where like when I've had a good set in the comedy store main room, um, that will hold me over for uh, six months. Where I'm like, okay, I I never have to do anything ever again. This was everything. This is the best it's ever going to be, and that's the end, and that's how it's going to be because the it's just a very empowering stage. It feels like a very, it's a very strong, uh, the, the audience is really great. And the way that they structure the room is really cool. But, um, you know, it's one of the oldest stages and, uh, you know, around and, and I like got a lot of love for it, but the improv is the place that we had, We've been doing the nighttime show, our podcast, live on stage at the uh, at the Improv for years, like three years. We did it live mm-hmm. on the stage there, and it was just extraordinary. The type of celebrities and people that we have on that stage, and um, you know, uh, was just uh, so much fun. So I I absolutely love the Improv. It's one of my favorite places in the world. We'll talk about the po- your podcast in a second, but really quick, uh, Stephen, you just had an album that just came out recently too, right? I did. So tell us about that. Uh, like, we, where, where we did you record recorded that? the album at the Ice House in in Pasadena. We did the album there, and uh, um, I had done about um, I had to kind of prepare for it. I I used. Uh, Matt's advice and performed literally every single day of the week on every single possible bizarre and weird show I could just to prep myself and get myself ready for the, uh, uh, I think I did 32 shows in the month of July of last year to to prep to do the August 3rd recording. And, uh, it was, it was fun. I mean, I performed at like, Hooters, at Dave and Buster's, at a yoga studio. I performed at the clubs, but then I also did like shows that were like 
teen tour shows where I was performing for teenagers, and those some of those shows were great. Some of them were the worst shows I've ever done in my life. Um, like I've I did uh, shows at the Ice House and at the Factory. I went down to Long Beach and performed at the Long Beach Laugh Factory. Like I I. I I tried to do, oh, and I went to La Jolla Comedy Store with Mike Glazer from our show and uh, did some shows down there and, you know, just just kind of went to as many places and worked as much as I could. Um, and, it, you know, it was it was really fun. The, and then the night of the album taping, uh, Stormy Daniels showed up <laughs> to the album taping, which was... Uh, just kind of gave it like that extra little fun, uh, you know, energy for the night where you're like, I was doing an impression of Trump on stage in front of Stormy Daniels. And, uh, and that, that really kind of made my, made my year. <laughs> That's awesome. Are you planning to do another uh, album you think down the road? Um, I mean, like, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna take a little while. <laughs> like yeah. this one, I got the offer to do the album a year before I recorded it, and I said, yeah, I said I would do it. And then I spent like a full year kind of being like, I don't know when I'm ready to do. It. Like I just didn't. <laughs> like I don't, you know, yeah. you know, like you want it to be good, and you don't want to. You want to be proud of it, and you, you know, I. I felt like I just wanted to like take take the time, um, but I I wish I could I wish I could be like Jim Gaffigan and just put out another album the next yeah. year. Like that would be <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it seems like, like he does one every six months. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. it's like when you put a new album as a comic. Uh, part of the reason is that you want to sort of retire some material so you don't have to keep doing it anymore. Yeah. Um, so I think that's sort of part of the goal for any of us is you put out something that has this material in a recording, then you can move on to start doing other things. And it takes a while to build the volume of material you need to put out another album. If you're somebody like Jim Gaffigan, you can walk into any room in America and get an hour and a half every night on, on stage. Um, so it's a lot easier when you're that level to, uh, to generate that kind of material. Yeah. Oh my God. And he's, he's, you know, non-stop touring all the time yeah. so wherever he is like if he wants to take a section out of the night to try out new stuff he can you know he can do that he can do that and it's a little more like it's a it can be a little more difficult when you're just here in los angeles you know doing shows don't and forget he's got to work a lot too he's got like 10 kids Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, <laughs> dude, he's got to get out of the college. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. Hey, Stephen, how did you get involved with the voiceover work? Uh, voiceover stuff came mostly out of. Uh, um, I mean, I've just I do a lot of weird voices in my in my stand up and in my act and stuff, and so. Um, you know, like I, I, at some point I started, you know, kind of getting seen, you know, for, you know, cartoons and for jobs like that. And, uh, and then, you know, every once in a while I'll have some sort of big thing happen. Like, uh, but it's also like, it's a weird, you know, voiceover work is a super, 
awesome thing, but it's also super weird. Like two and a half years ago, I worked on Monster Hunter for Capcom as one of the, uh, I think the character is called a Maylinx or something like this. And it's like this thing. I spent like three days working on it and that was the end. And it's been years and, and, and literally about um, two weeks ago, IMDb listed that it's coming out later this year and that it's going to come out as a, like as a film, like a st- for streaming, like a yeah. streaming thing with Amazon. And that's uh, like fantastic because I haven't like, cause you don't know, like sometimes you work on something and then maybe it'll see the light of day. Like um, I worked on white Fang with uh, the, I, with this company that was a company in uh, overseas. It was like a, a German filmmaking company. And, uh, and then it premiered at, at Sundance and, and they had cast, Nick Offerman and uh, Rashida Jones and Paul Giamatti in the movie and, and me. And you're like, I'm like, Oh, I'm in this thing, you know? So it's like, you, you never really know a hundred percent of when something is actually going to make it, you know, out yeah. into Netflix and into the world and other times, you know? So it's a lot of just doing the, doing the gig and, and, uh, you know, hoping for the best hmm. that something happens with it, you know? So now, you know, both, you know, you, you guys host a nighttime show. Like, how did you guys, like, start that podcast? Who came up with the idea for the show? Um, I mean, Matt, you know, I I feel like uh, this, the, or, the, uh, the origin of the nighttime show very quickly is, uh, yeah. Tom Green had a show called Webavision and uh he wanted he had to take off for a week and he asked if I would uh take over for the week and and do bring my friends and do something and so uh I called Matt and I was like hey do you want to make this show together and we'll do like a really big weird like talk show type thing and it was fun and we did this like big crazy thing together and it went really well. And I think we, we all had like a fun time doing it. Um, and, you know, like Matt is like annoyingly smart. Like he just knows like everything about how everything works. And, uh, I, and I know nothing about how everything, nothing works. Like I know nothing. Uh, like I know, I know about four things and that's it. You know, but Matt knows way too much. (laughs) What's that? I said, if it's musical theater, Steven's your man. Yeah, musical theater, cartoons, Star Wars, action figures. These are the things I know stuff about. Like everything else, you know, I I, I don't know. I, I I I call Matt way too much for uh questions about everything uh how tools work you know where what how to make my computer not you know set on fire you know like uh, so so when uh i had been hosting a podcast with a, a girl named kate quigley called uh date fails and we had i i she's a dear friend of mine but we had kind of 
uh, it was uh, our our versions of what we wanted to do on the podcast were very different, and and I was like, oh man, I just you know, like I'd love to do uh uh what's it called? I'd love to do a podcast, and uh, that was you know with my friends, like another type of show, and we had been doing the nighttime show live as this like live like fun you know, stand-up comedy, like, interview show, weird, wacky show. Um, and then we were like, you know what? Um, right, Matt, we were like, let's let's try doing this as yeah, a podcast. The, try. We were doing a live late-night talk show, so think of, you know, like, Conan O'Brien, but live, um, where all mm-hmm. the guests were comedians. So they do stand-up and then sit on a couch and read an interview and play games. And then at the improv at the time, they had a podcast network that was owned by the same people as the club. And they saw the show and they asked us if we'd be willing to do a podcast version of it. Um, so we're like, yeah, sure. All right, let's try it. And, uh, we tried moving that format over to the podcast for like the first five episodes. And we're like, let's just interview people. Cause it's way more interesting, I think. Um, yeah. So, uh, we also, started doing like, that. You talk to, when you, when you talk to comedians, like comedians, They've got fun, sometimes like fun stories and this and that. Yeah. But the, yeah. The, the origin story of a comedian is almost always the same. It's like, I wasn't doing stand up and then I was doing stand up. And that's like <laughs> it's basically it, as opposed to like talking to the zoo director for the Los Angeles Zoo or talking yeah. to. Um, you know, Ed Asner and finding out what, what his story is or how he became him. Like that's, I think a big piece of why we wanted to do this is we are actually interested in the people we are talking to. And a lot of times uh, we are, uh, you, we are learning along with the audience about, uh, what, these, what the lives of, uh, some fascinating people really are, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's that's another reason why I started this podcast also. You know, like I've been doing this for three years now, and I've had some great guests on. Then I've had some guests where I'm like, I don't even know if they even, I think they get forced to go on the show. Have you ever had that before, like, with some guests? Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I think, like, we will know who I'm talking about. But uh, uh, I don't know, if, should I name names, Stephen? Should I name names? Tom Sizemore was not happy to be there. Mark Boone Jr. from Batman Begins <laughs> he, he, was yeah, not he, happy to be there. Yeah. yeah. Who else? But, uh, you know, I, th- I think we've been pretty lucky. We've had guests who are who are happy and they like telling us stories. Yeah. Um, so for the most part, we've had great guests and we've been very happy with them. Um, and even those shows, even though they're not uh, that excited to be there, I think they still want to be in good shows. Like Tom Sizemore, well, I think we get more press from the Tom Sizemore episode than anything else we've ever done because he's a linguist. Oh. Uh, and he oh. couldn't help himself with saying crazy stuff out the gate. <laughs> yeah, so. he was he was pretty insane. Um, I think sometimes you have people on who are like not uh, – you know, they're just, they're not ready to talk, yeah. you know, like Steven Weber, we, we were like, Steven Weber, we're such big fans. We loved wings. And he was like, really? You loved wings. Come on. We were like, 
but he had other great stuff. Yeah, come yeah. on. He doesn't love wings, you know? Right. Hey, you know what else? We love this other thing. This other TV show you did, man, you were so great on, on Mom. You know, you really, really did a great job. And he was like, uh, is this what we're going to do? You know, like, <laughs> he was getting huge laughs kind of talking down on his own career the whole way through the interview. Yeah. But... But it was fun. It was yeah. still, like, you know, it was still entertaining. It's a very fun show to listen to. I mean, I grew up watching Wings, the Cheers, and Seinfeld, all those Thursday night shows. How, how, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's all, it's, you know, it, it depends, too, like, when you bring people on, you know, sometimes when we do an interview with someone in their home, we get... Uh, you know, they kind of forget that it's a podcast and they yeah. end up giving out very intimate and fascinating details about themselves. And then other times it's like, you know, you're, you, you have them on stage and, you know, maybe they had a couple drinks before they came up on stage. And before you know it, they are, you know, dropping they're dropping all the info they're telling ever because because they're getting laughs like yeah. huge laughs and so before you know it they've yeah. revealed all sorts of crazy stuff about their lives and, and, um, and most yeah. of our guests are not used to live performance so when we do the live version when yeah. whenever we can go back out and do a live show again um a lot of these people they're not used to having a room full of people laughing at everything they say. Right. And uh I think they find it sort of intoxicating. Like as comedians we're jaded to it, like we just expect it, like that's that's the job. But for people who are actors, you know, they're usually on a sound stage somewhere and, you know, the crew might laugh, but that's, you know, twenty five people and they're not in a room of two hundred laughing with them as the focus of attention with all the software. I think they really enjoy it. So then they just yeah. sort of start leaning into it and uh i think that that also is another way of helping get people to open up mm-hmm. yeah who do you like so who do you, who do you think's been your best like interview and guest that you've had on the show that sticks out who's your favorite uh, matt i think if i were i would say probably to me the best interview we've done was michael uslan who's a name nobody's gonna know but he's probably a billionaire because he's the guy that in 1979 bought the rights to make Batman into a movie. And he's owned the rights to Batman movies ever since then. And he told us the story of how he got to that position to even be able to buy the rights to Batman. And then the struggle that he spent for 10 years in making the Batman movie that he wanted to make and not just a comic farce movie like all the studios were willing to make a Batman movie if it was if it was a comedy, but he wanted to make a serious dark Batman, and that really changed filmmaking forever. Like mm-hmm. all the big budget Marvel movies you see now, none of those would happen if it wasn't for the original 1989 Batman. So he talks about that whole process and his reluctance to Michael Keaton, even though Tim Burton wanted him, and you know how long it took to get Tim Burton, all that stuff. Like that story was just fascinating to me as a fan of entertainment. And I don't. I haven't even seen a Batman movie since Batman Two, and I still think that's our best our best interview we've ever done. Uh, he was just that good. Yeah, I, I that Michael Uslan interview was um, it definitely stayed with me after after it happened. You know, um, the the probably my favorite 
interview on the show that we've ever done is is uh, Bruce Valanche because oh, okay. Bruce Valanche. I'm a big fan of people that have these massive, long running careers that are just extraordinary, where they've ha- they've they've happened to run into everybody or work with everybody. Like Bruce Valanche was um, Bette Midler's writer for everything Bette Midler has ever done. He gets brought in to like write her dialogue and write her jokes and punch her stuff up. He's also the guy who wrote the Oscars, the Emmys, and the Tony Awards for 30 years. And then um, he's uh, he also wrote the Star Wars Holiday Special and Paul Lynn's Halloween Special. So in one in there's a moment in the interview with Bruce Valanche where he tells a story about working with Margaret Hamilton, who played the Wicked Witch of the West, <laughs> and Margaret Hamilton telling had told him a story about when she worked with W.C. Fields. So while listening to an episode of a podcast that was recorded in 2018, you're hearing a story about W.C. Fields that no one else has ever heard. And that that to me was like, that's the epitome of, of, of like how awesome a show can be. Like really, like to me, that was like, okay, well, this is, this is like top tier kind of stuff. I mean, we've also had conversations with people that are like, you know, shocking where it stays with you for a long time. Like we had Tyler Shields on the show who shot the photograph of Kathy Griffin holding Donald Trump's severed head. And he's that he's a very well loved and very wealthy photographer who his photos, a print, like one photo print of his sells for in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like he's a huge deal. And um, he told us, on our show, we were the first to hear about it, that um, uh, a Postmates driver uh, <laughs> cut open a, uh, a hamburger. Allegedly. And, right? And, yeah, and put, he, he felt he thought that his food them. had been tampered with. Yeah, because he, he couldn't leave the house for like two months after he had Secret Service outside his house after that <laughs> happened, like just watching the place. He was getting death threats, uh, and he thinks that a Postmates driver may have tampered with his food, and he told that story. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, it, it got yeah. very uh, – that that episode got very dark very quickly. Um, yeah. I mean, when Janice Dickinson came on our show, yeah. she she talked about um, – And this, being, was, this was before the Bill Cosby trial, so we talked to her before yeah. he'd actually gone to trial on the on the stuff. So, like, the allegations were all out there. And we got to sort of talk to her about her thoughts on, you know, like feeling vindication after she'd been ridiculed, ridiculed for years over telling these stories about things that had happened to her and finally getting people to believe her um, is really interesting to hear. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty it was, it was pretty intense. I mean, we've had probably my favorite performance that we've ever had, which was kind of our first real performance. It was pretty crazy. Um, and I just remember because 
Mike Black, who is also on our show, turned to me on stage and was like, oh my God, we made this happen. And it was, the we had had this idea that on our 100th episode of our podcast, it would be so fun if we could get Lisa Loeb to be at the show. And when we would do this bit, and this is such a stupid bit, but the idea would be, we go, you know, we were trying to decide if when we hit a hundred episodes that we were going to end doing the show here at the improv, or if we were going to stay and keep doing the show here. And, um, uh, in, in honor of us deciding that we are going to stay, uh, please welcome our guest, Lisa Loeb. And then Lisa Loeb came up and sang stay <laughs> for like big hit song from the nineties. Yeah. And it was, it is to this day, one of my favorite things that's ever happened on our show. Cause, cause it was like the amount of things that had to go right for Lisa Loeb to, to, to a know who we are and B be down to come down to the improv and C be down to sing the song that she's done a bajillion times. Like, it was just a lot of a lot of good things had to happen for that to and and then you wind happen. up going to her house to hand out Halloween candy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So my girlfriend was out of town for Halloween, and and her and I have become friends. And and I after doing this show, and I said, um, I said I don't know what to do on Halloween. I don't. I what am you know what are you going to do? And she was like, Why don't you come over to our house and hand out candy with me and my husband? I was like. Okay, <laughs> so I, I spent a Halloween at Lethal Oaks House giving out candy. It's it's pretty so, great. It sounds like a drinking story when you're drinking. You start telling people stories. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Put a finger down if you know. That's right. <laughs> is, is there somebody that you would love to get on that you've been trying and it's just not working out, or you're like you're hoping you can get them on someday? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, it took years and i say years of of bothering uh doug jones's manager mm-hmm. to get doug jones from the shape of water and hellboy to come on our show uh it, it took years and like years yeah. and years to get michael dorn from uh war from star trek the next generation to come and do our show and and do an interview but there are people that are that are on our list that were just like, I mean, I, I've wanted to talk to Chuck Norris for so long. <laughs> um, he's a, he's a big one, uh, for sure. I think, um, yeah, there, you know, there's, uh, there's, a, lot, there's even, a lot of people. Yeah. Steven, let me point out that you are the one who brought up Star Trek. So I cannot be blamed this time. Uh, okay. you know, 99% of the time it's usually me but uh, I think our white whale the one that we want to get the most someday um, and it's difficult because of age and other things and issues like that even though we have connections with him is Mel Brooks I think he's the ultimate yeah. possible guest and I think there's a chance we're going to get him someday but you, the stars have to align everything has to work out right. the right possible way but it's like uh we, we know Mel Brooks. Steven knows him on a personal level. You know, I've met yeah. him. Um, lovely man. 
fantastic stories, and it's just a matter of trying to make that happen. And you have to, you can't just ask. You got to figure out the right way to ask for a guest like that. So it's sort of things like that going on. Where it's like we got to find the right possible situation to maybe even ask to get him on. Uh, but besides him, it's William Shatner, and that's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Shatner. Shatner would be a big deal. Uh, uh, what's this? Um, there's, there's a couple. I think Patrick there's Stewart a, is, a, is more likely because because Picard's on now. So Patrick Stewart's a maybe. Yeah, Patrick uh, Stewart would be pretty great. We we've always wanted to have Lance Henriksen on the show from Alien yeah. and Terminator, and we just had him last week. Which I saw that. Yeah, totally, totally awesome. And then. Later this afternoon, uh, we're doing an interview with Big Ed from 90 Day Fiance, which kind of, if we're being honest, goes against our norm of what we normally go after. But we are, you know, I think Matt and I both got really sucked into watching that show, and he's the big star of of the season and and you know like it's it's always interesting you know on our podcast to talk with people who are at the top of their game or have been at the top of their game whatever their game is so you know like even if you know like we did an interview with uh you know when we did when we had michael dorn on it's like michael dorn Mm -hmm was at one point at the top of the acting, you know, game, you know, he was, he was a a character that, you know, like it doesn't matter what he's currently working on. I mean, it does matter. We, uh, you know, are are fans of him, but it doesn't matter what he's currently working on. It's that he changed, you know, the, the face of television forever by playing this character that is iconic. And it's the same kind of, rule applies with someone like this where right now he has captured the you know the world's attention on this show and this may be the big height of this guy's entire life mm-hmm. and and so it's an it'll be an interesting you know chat to kind of see how that has affected his I mean, his world and stuff you know like those are mm-hmm. we don't do a lot of reality people but when we do, it's got to be like the biggest possible person, right. you know, right. um, like, like, yeah, we, yeah. I'm talking so much, but like Farrah Abraham was on the show and it was one of the freaking craziest interviews. I think we, we, yeah, we, ever done. we had the was, first interview she did after getting out of jail because we uh-huh. agreed to, we'd agreed to put her on the show. Like we weren't, we weren't trying to get her. It was like a thing where her publicist was like, Hey, look, I'm trying to get her on some shows that nobody wants to take her. Will you guys take her? Like, fine. We'll, we'll interview Fairy Abraham. Fine. Cause you get her with other good people. And then she goes out and gets arrested right before she's supposed to come on our show. And she gets out of jail like oh, the day before. Uh, and we were just lined up perfectly. So it worked out great. Oh yeah. And when we finished the interview with her, the audio from that interview, and she told us, she was like, take the audio from this interview and go give it to some people. And yeah. we, um, I mean, that interview got published by everybody. I mean, Vulture, Radar Online, People Magazine. I mean, uh, I think I think we, and TMZ, I think we ended up with like mm-hmm. 
seven or eight outlets picking up different stories of stuff that she said on the show. So, you know, it's, you know, we, we try not to, we try, what we try to do is if we're going to have a Sarah Abraham on the show, then we also need, we need to have, uh, you know, the guy who was the, you know, prop designer on Terminator two on the next episode. You know what I mean? Like we have to balance things out. You can't just have reality stars or you will kill yourself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you're, I think if you have three reality stars in a row, you get an ulcer. Yeah. I think that is. There's I, like a law in podcasting. I'm not right. 100 podcast. So it, it it's is. funny because you know I've become friends yeah. with other podcasters that have you know similar shows and everything, and they're always trying to tell me to get you know reality stars on. I'm like I don't know. You know I don't really watch reality show that much, and but like no, you got to get them. It's like. They're going to make your numbers jump even higher because there's people who just sit there and just watch those shows. They do. I'll tell you, I we, think we just had we just had Chloe from Too Hot to Handle, which has been on the air for two weeks, three weeks now on, on Netflix. Netflix, yeah. Um, and the numbers on her show, uh, we we interviewed her, and that show's been out for two weeks. The numbers on her show puts it in our top ten episodes of all time wow. out of 175 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> because she's like, oh, come on. Like, you put it out, and you're like, these numbers are going crazy. You're like, how did this happen? Like, she, there's a moment a in nice the interview. Still. Yeah. There's a moment in the interview. She's kind of, she kind of advertised herself on the on this reality show as being a bit of an idiot. Like, she's a very yeah. sweet person. But she, she, like, admittedly, was like, like, you know, like, I'm not really the brightest, you know, cup of tea there is, you know, or whatever. Like, she would <laughs> say that kind of stuff on the, sh- on, you know, on the reality show itself. So when we had her on, uh, there was a, like, there was, she was bragging on the Netflix show about how she had learned the word, um, what was the word? Uh, I forget. There was a word. She's like, oh, that's another one now for the Clo- dictionary of Chloe. Yeah, it was like she learned the word like agitated or something like that. Or something like that. And yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So she was like, so then Matt goes, oh, yeah, I know that you learned the word agitated. You know, you talked about it on 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 television. Um, so is there any new words that you've learned? And she said, uh yeah, I have actually. There's like a new word that like, I'm like super like proud of that I learned, and like it's like the word for like whatever it is when like you don't okay like when it's never happened before like we're in a pandemic, right? Okay, so like <laughs> it's the word for like how that's never happened in the whole world, and we're like I can remember the word. Un- we're like, yeah, we're like unprecedented. And she's like, that's the word I learned. <laughs> we're like, well, you did it. Learn it. Because. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, this hurts my brain talking to you. But God bless her. You know, you're just right. like, this is gold, but it's it's insane. So, I mean, to, to buff out. You know, or or not have too many reality people. Uh, we had Jonathan Banks recently from Better Call Saul on the show, yeah. which was 
super badass. And then uh, Friday, we're interviewing Robbie Amell, who is uh, the star of the show Upload yeah. on Amazon, and uh, he's on the show The Flash. Yeah. So. I- uh, I almost very, had him on a couple. Mu- I almost had him on a couple months ago for the movie that he they released on Netflix, Code. I think it was called. But I just things didn't oh, work. Yeah. yeah, things didn't work out the way they were supposed to. So I'm trying to get him back on for his new show. We'll, we'll, we'll hit him up point. now. Everybody's just <laughs> sitting around at right, home right, trying to. Uh, right. So how can the listeners get back to work? How can the listeners find your podcast? What outlets? Um, Just go to well, thenighttimeshow.com, and we have links to Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple, Google. Anywhere you get podcasts, you can find The Nighttime Show. Yeah. Yeah. Nighttime Show is uh, available basically everywhere. We have an Amazon, uh, what's it called, an Alexa app. Yeah. So if you want to, yeah. you, you know, put that into your, yeah, you want to download that app for your Alexa at home, you can listen to it. Um, uh, but you, you can, but you can get it everywhere. You don't download it Alexa app. What's that? It's like you don't you don't download an app to an Alexa. You just enable a skill. It's it's a whole texting all explaining. Like, <laughs> See, this is why Matt <laughs> needs to be here because I don't know how stuff will work. So uh, how... look for the Alexa skill store. It'll it'll show up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> how can the listeners find you guys on social media? I'm at Stephen Glickman, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Glickman, G-L-I-C-K-M-A-N, on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Um, and yeah, and Matt, if you want to get Matt, uh, uh, Matt, you're funny. Links everything are, Hi, Matt. Links everything are at funnymatt.com. Uh, or if you were upset by anything I said today, let me know at mattwalkersucks.com. <laughs> Guys, this yeah. is fun. Thank you for and coming And people on. do. People do. They, oh, yeah. they do let him I have lots of new content now after this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, everybody. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Man Cave Chronicles podcast. I finally get my man cave. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the MCC Podcast. And our website, themccpodcast.com. Until next time. Until next time.